0: Great stories from amazing people. Conversations from the Marsh at Podcast Alley. This is Sports and More with Dean Millard. I, I just couldn't believe how good he was, you know, uh, he was he was so good we were we had a really good season that year we we pretty much kind of had a dominant trail all the way through the season all the way through playoffs and then game one against Crosby the first 10 minutes of the game we went down three to nothing and he had uh, three unbelievable plays That it was literally nobody's fault nothing really differently could have been done and it was like all dropped like all uh, what's the word like your mouth just dropped at what he did you know so it took us by shock the fact that anybody could do this to us because we had such a strong team. It wasn't uh, you know two or three guys carrying us the whole year. We had we had a very strong team. Decor was sick. Our we had four lines that were really good, and we had a top notch goaltending. And Crosby went through us in ten minutes like nothing. And we refocused, and we ended up winning that game in overtime. Marcus Ott scored the game winner, but th- that first ten minutes gave us all a view of how unbelievable that kid was. Blah, blah,
1: blah, blah.
0: Blah, blah.
1: That is the voice of Rob Shremp, former Edmonton Oiler, a Memorial Cup champion of 2005. Taking us back to that tournament uh, when Sidney Crosby uh, lost out, unfortunately, to the London Knights. Unfortunately for the London Knights. Hello there, everybody. Thanks very much for joining me here on Sports and More, the podcast, episode 39, which will feature Rob Shremp, um, former Oiler, uh, former Islander. Thrasher and, uh, had some, uh, success in, uh, Europe as well. And, uh, he's launching a new coaching program. So we're gonna chat with him about that 05 Memorial cup, which was unfortunately canceled yesterday by the Canadian hockey league due to the COVID-19 pandemic. We are in right now, but we'll go back to that 05 Memorial cup we'll talk about what he's doing now, 44 vision hockey. Uh, He played with uh, a couple of really interesting players, uh, former oiler Doug Waite uh, on the island and Corey Perry in London. And we'll find out kind of the evolution of Corey Perry uh, as a skilled player to pass to uh, co-winner of the Rocket Richard Trophy. And uh, Rob is going to reflect a little bit on the 2006 Stanley Cup run That ended in game seven in Carolina, unfortunately, for the Edmonton Oilers. He wasn't part of the team on the ice, but he was a part of the team as one of the black aces, uh, a spare, and uh, his memories of uh, not just being in the building and around the team, but in the city uh, during that time are uh, very cool. So excited to bring you the conversation with Rob Shrimp in just a little bit, but uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports. The fantasy sports are great. And when we get back to them, it's going to be even better. And with Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports, it's more realistic than ever. Own one of the only 31 professional fantasy hockey franchises in the world. You get 23-man rosters, a 27-player reserve list to stockpile for the future. Of course, you get daily roster moves, a really unique playoff format. This fantasy league doesn't end In the regular season it continues on into the playoffs and they're not just players on your roster they're digital assets you use digital currency to buy and sell players build a championship team now and win money or stockpile for the future and they are uh working on something that could be very cool even though there is no live sports uh going on right now so there's only a few franchises left of the 31 available. You can get your own by bidding right now. Uh, if you're watching, you can see the link on the screen. Uh, if you're listening, get a pen, I'll give it to you. It's www.airauctioneer.com slash U F F sports dash NHL dash fantasy dash franchise dash auction. It is so cool. Uh, Duckman's dominators are a member of this league. We were in a position to make the playoffs. Uh, and unfortunately, the season uh, has been put on hold. So you can get in on the best fantasy game out there. Open your free account at airauctioneer.com. Make your bid and you will be notified if you are out bid. In this format, you own the game. So get in the game. Ultimate franchise fantasy sports. All right, our top three brought to you by UFF sports is what is the hardest trophy or cup to win in all of sports? What are the top three uh toughest trophies, championships to win in all of sports? Uh, and then you know what? I I, I hope people come up with some creative ones. Uh, my honorable mention is the triple crown doesn't involve, uh, you know, a, a, the, an animal is doing most of it and it's a singular sport uh, for the most part, but the Triple Crown has only been done 13 times and only twice since 78, three times if you include uh, 78. It was a regular occurrence and then it took a whole bunch of time off. So the, uh, the Triple Crown uh, for me is uh, my honorable mention when it comes to the top three hardest trophies, uh, slash cups, uh, to win. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Yeah! Uh, number three, I'm going with the FIFA world cup, uh, more than 200 countries try to get into it. Um, 32, maybe it sounds like more. Um, and you could get in a group of death. You could be a good, a strong country. Um, so I'm going with the FIFA world cup. Plus it only happens, uh, every four years. So for me, uh, FIFA world cup is, uh, number three, the Stanley cup is number two for me. Um, it's just, it combines everything, uh, an 82 game season. Well, length, uh, physicality and hockey is the most, uh, physical fast paced sport, uh, in my opinion, and, uh, 16 teams, a lot of teams like baseball has a marathon season, but only a few teams get in football is a massive grind, but it's a shorter season as far as games played, playing once a week. So the Stanley cup for me is the heart second hardest trophy, uh, to win. And, uh, number one for me is the Memorial cup, which unfortunately was canceled yesterday. And, and for good reason, listen, I'm not telling that, uh, I'm not complaining. I'm just, I'm just sad for some of those 20 year old players who, uh, now are done with their junior hockey career. Uh, so, the Memorial Cup, because you have to go through four rounds in your own league, as long as you're a champion, the host can get knocked out at any time. But you go through four rounds, which could be best of sevens, uh, or, or they're all best of sevens. So, you could play uh, a four, seven game series, uh, especially in the Western Hockey League. The travel is ridiculous. I remember one year I covered it, Brandon playing Portland. Um, you know, you can't hardly, I don't think you can get, a, well, you can get a little bit farther away with Seattle, but uh, it's pretty far Brandon to Portland, uh, to play, by the way, there's a little weeking representation back there. Um, and then you go into a tournament where you're facing at least two other teams you haven't faced, maybe three, depending on, um, where the, the tournament is being held, whether it's in your league or not, if you're the Western hockey league, and the tournament is being held in the OHL. You're facing three teams you've never faced. Um, if you're, you know, that that's the way it is. If your host in your league is hosting, you're facing two teams that you've never faced. But now you have to play uh, maybe a totally different style of uh, face a totally different style of hockey, and then it's a round robin. And uh, so you you got to win your league, and then you got to win a tournament. So that's why the Memorial Cup to me is uh, the hardest trophy slash cup. win, Uh, You can get more details on Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports at www.uffsports.com, and you can uh, get in the game, and in this instance, you own the game. Uh, Here's what's going on at Podcast Alley right now. Uh, Jordan Blundell and I uh, did a little uh, self-isolation Skype session. We had a self-isolation Skype session uh, yesterday on the Prospects Baseball Show chatting about Major League Baseball. You know, Chris Sale uh, injured today. Noah Syndergaard. I was counting on him in fantasy this year. He's going under the knife for Tommy John surgery. So he's going to be out all of this season and part of next season. So that sucks. Uh, so that information obviously didn't come out until today, but uh, we chatted about uh, what's also happening with the prospects in the Western Canadian baseball league as well. Uh, Rob shrimp. One timers uh, will come out in a couple of days and uh, on the cannabis one one podcast tomorrow, Tyler Smith, uh, who is the uh, man behind the dope show. It's a comedy uh, show. Uh, that uh, heads to comedy clubs. It's coming to Edmonton in April, hopefully, uh, with a cannabis theme. And we also did one hitters with Tyler. So that can be all found at podcastalley.ca. And uh, if you want to get in touch with us, it's pretty simple. At Duck Millard on Twitter, at Sports & More Podcast on Instagram. You can find us on uh, Facebook at Sports & More 35. And you can email us Sports and More podcast at gmail.com uh, you could also find full episodes and much more at sports and dot c a all right rob shrimp on the other side of the bio as we get to know him just a little bit more
0: time for
1: the bio. Rob Shrimp grew up in Fulton, New York, playing elite hockey before moving to Canada and suiting up for the Mississauga Ice Dogs of the Ontario Hockey League. He was named Rookie of the Year, but three games into his second season, he was traded to the London Knights, where he put up extraordinary numbers with 304 points in 179 games, and he won a Memorial Cup. He was a first-round pick of the Oilers in 2004 and became one of the most popular Oiler prospects ever for good and bad reasons. He played just seven games in total for the Oilers before being claimed off waivers by the New York Islanders in 2009, and he finished his career with the Atlanta Thrashers. Shramp found offensive success playing in Europe before retiring in 2018. He's now launching 44 Vision Hockey, a one-on-one hockey coaching program. Rob, it's always great to catch up with you, and uh, in particular, uh, I'm always interested in uh, what people are up to these days uh, with uh, COVID-19 uh, controlling a lot of our lives. But uh, first of all, how are you, and, and how are things with the family right now?
0: Yeah, hey, we're doing well. We've been bunkered down for about the last 12 days, so it's been uh, it's a good time to connect and, and stay really focused on family and my wife and daughter and uh yeah, it's kind of been a little bit of a blessing in disguise, really, to have a pause on the world and have nothing really other to focus on than just being with each other. So it's been a good time.
1: Yeah, and, uh, you know, we were talking just before we uh, started about, um, you know, everything that's going on around us. And, you know, you're in you're in Florida where we saw the, the video of all those spring breakers and, you know, just to the west of us in, in Vancouver, uh, here in in Alberta, west of us. We saw all the people on the beach. Does it not amaze you how many people aren't taking this seriously?
0: Yeah, it's amazing and it's it's scary, to be honest with you. It's it's to see the outcome in Italy and see the outcome in other places in the world where where the kind of same mindset of it's not that big of a deal was was being practiced and to see how big of a deal it is now. It's a bit of an eye opener. Um and you know and, and to to what's being asked is to kind of you know lessen the curve or take the curve down like I said stay at home with family and, and absorb that time and have a chance to hit pause on everything all the stressors and all the worries that most of us have and uh, just stay focused and, and hang out with your family it's not that big of an ask so it's kind of it really does make you wonder what the, why it's such a hard ask and why people can't just stop doing these things um, the beach is going to be there after this and, and it'll be there for a long time so there'll be plenty of time to catch up on beach time or Whatever these other things these people feel the urgency to do, they'll still be here once we can get this kind of all cleared up and and have the world get back to to being where it was or being normal again.
1: Well, yeah, and I, I just like I think the seriousness of this whole situation is evident by the fact that every sports league has shut down. I mean, it takes a lot for for leagues like the NHL and the NBA to say. You know, we're going to risk not having a a Stanley Cup or a Larry O'Brien trophy handed out this year because we want to get ahead of this. And then uh, people aren't taking it seriously. But you you know when that big of a league from, you know, North America to Europe to wherever are are all shutting down. Like, this is is unprecedented. It's like every league is in a labor dispute right now, right? Almost. With the COVID.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think, what we've learned too, obviously it, it doesn't have, it does not matter the title on the name or what your job title is or what your, uh, you know, government job is. I think we've seen, uh, someone in government just got it run. I think Ram Paul got it. Uh, it, it really doesn't matter who you are. And even if you're a professional athlete and an icon, uh, it doesn't discriminate. So, um, it really humanizes everybody. It makes us realize that it it's, this is a human thing that we all need to come together as, as a group of humans. It doesn't matter what your title is or what your status is. It's more important to uh, people's lives and, and and trying to conquer an issue together. And uh, you know that's what's most important. So when you like you said, they're urgent, when we shut down like that, and it's other other thing. Like people, they're asking people not to go to their jobs, right? So mm-hmm. everything's getting paused and stopped because it has a serious. They want to take and how fast they want to stop it so that these medical uh, staffs and, and, you know, hospitals can catch a break and not be overwhelmed. I think you see the people that are doing those jobs are the real heroes right now, and they're getting bombarded. So when you're that, you know, that group of guys or a group of people that want to go to the beach and now it doesn't matter about coronavirus. Like, look at the people's photos that come off a 12-hour shift. They got their shield uh, and respirator masks are embedded into their face because of how hard they're working how long their shifts are i think there's some you have to have some empathy and some compassion for that and bring that into your consideration of how serious it is to go to the beach today Uh, i mean the odds that you don't get the odds that you get you know the young guy young people that they are cases of it so uh this this whole thing of it's only old people is over that myth is definitely over um and the fact that you, you might get it and be asymptomatic, but you could possibly, each person has a potential given it to two and a half other people is the problem. Um, and why it's important to pay attention to this. And that's not so much, yeah, I'm sure that most of us can get through it with the sore throat and the cough, but the people that have to go and have ventilators and have you know, ICU care is what the problem is. And that's where your potential given off is. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's really kind of what should be in your equation of what's important.
1: For sure, uh, I, I'm sure you're still in touch with uh, you know a lot of guys uh, that are that are still playing. I wonder what the thought process is um, for NHL players right now. I, I mean, we've all heard the scenarios of anywhere from a 24 team tournament to uh, scrapping the season and doing the top six teams, uh, sixteen teams. Uh, there was a report uh, from some of the from Darren Drager about uh, some of the players proposing that they finish the season, then have the playoffs an off-season in October, and then start the next season in November. As a former player, don't you think that would be a little bit too much hockey in in, you know starting and whenever they could start again, if they even could?
0: That's a good question. You know, I think in theory it probably sounds nice, but then we'll see when they they have to do the travel part of it, they have to do the away games, you know, and, and then in a playoff series play every other day and then when that's finished there's a little short pause and get back to it there'll be a lot of griping uh i think this that concept sounds really good on paper and they think they could probably pull it off but uh who knows i mean that's that is a ton of hockey at a high level and with this pause right now when when majority i think everybody should be sort of uh bound to at home workouts you're not you're not You know the opportunity to go to your normal gym and and have those high intensity workouts like you usually would get in the summer. You're not available right now, so who knows about injury and what the what the players' bodies are going to be able to withstand depending on how long this lasts. So those are a lot of uncertainties. Um, I don't know. it's It's tough to be thinking in that aspect too of trying to force. Let's get back. Let's get back. I think what's most important right now is like literally like let's just focus on this really, you know, pretty serious pandemic and making sure we're taking care of each other and our family and, and our home life. That's that's probably what's most important other than hammering out a schedule, trying to force something in like these concepts. I don't know if it plays out. I don't know how you feel about it, but for me personally, I just think like, let's just get through one thing before you start mapping out that, like that would, who knows how long this lasts. I mean, yeah, that's really, that's the thing. (laughs) Like June or later. Who, who knows, right? So you can't really... They're all like... Yeah, they're all kind of like... You know, what-if scenarios. I guess you can... Yeah, it might be wise to have a couple what-ifs, but and who knows? It's tough to say because you don't know how long it'll last. And like, to the point of people not taking it as serious as they should, you don't know how long it will last. If mm-hmm. everybody was in lockdown right now and everybody was kind of paying attention to the social distancing or whatever you want to call it, physical distancing... Um, you probably have a little better idea of data and how, how long it would be until it kind of blows over. But for the time being, when you have every other day, you got a a video of a whole street of bars open and people boozing together and mm-hmm. mucking it up. It's it's tough to say. You can't predict anything that way because you don't know how many more people will be swarming the hospitals from this. Well, and and the most important but thing. But I hear you. I know. Like I don't know. A lot of hockey. The hockey part of it is yeah. I think that's a lot of hockey, to be honest with you, to, to be totally honest with you. And knowing how how guys complain and how you know they get the road trips going and how much travel there is and how many games they're going. And then they want to cram all that in and then have playoffs and then have a small pause and then go again. I, I just see there being a lot of griping, <laughs> you know, a lot of injury, too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. You have to make sure. First of all, you, you don't want to start the season back up and try to finish it and then have somebody else get sick because we weren't ahead of the curve or something. Cause that's disastrous. Uh, you know, the, from a leaks perspective, they're saying the most important thing is next year. If you have to scrap this year and that that's fine, but you can't have a situation where you try to start it up back again and then. In July, something happens again, and then your next season is is uh, contaminated, uh, so to say. So I think that's what they're worried about. And I'm with you. Uh, if if you can't play it out, and listen, it sucks for Oilers fans because they were really in a groove, and we could have saw an Oilers-Flames playoff. But there are bigger things. There are more important things at play here, like people's lives. So um, if, if there is some miracle and we can contain this and get a season in, that's fine. But I'm with you. The first priority is... Getting ahead of this and worrying about sports next year.
0: Well, I think too like the reason for you know we we all hold that Stanley Cup in such high regard. It is amazing. It's an unbelievable hard trophy to win. It's it everyone's passionate for that through the whole course of the season. So to, you know for. For so that to get canceled, it has to be something serious. I think this qualifies as something very serious. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where everyone in the in, in the hockey community can wrap their head around having to cancel and not hand out that trophy in the season. How many times has this ever happened? It's not like something that'll be repeating itself and we're just going to randomly cancel seasons. Uh, this is something that's, you know, very bizarre. And when you say, you know, The 2019, 2020, there was no Stanley Cup champion. The reason for it being that way is it's a pretty legit reason. (laughs) So if you had to scrap it, it, it doesn't take, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't take down the value of that Stanley Cup or those other trophies that you could win in other sports leagues. It's just humanity comes first. And in this case, I think everybody would understand.
1: Yeah, it's not like the uh, the season that was wiped out uh, due to a labor dispute in the NHL or 1994. Listen, Canadians uh, still hate Bud C League for the cancellation of the 94 Major League Baseball season because the Expos were so good. But it's not like this right now. Everybody is agreeing that it's not safe. And, you know, the Memorial Cup was just uh, canceled, and that and that happens in May. But there's no way they can, they can do that. And, you know, you know how hard it is to win that trophy. You won it in 05 so you you have to feel for those 20 year olds that maybe had a chance to win that tournament you know in the grand scheme as we've said there's a bigger issue but you still feel for those guys that won't get a shot at what you got to accomplish
0: yeah that's that's really tough to, to swallow really i mean for you go from there to ncaa seniors like anybody that's kind of their last kick and we're having a they had a lot of hope left in the season and a lot of things that to shoot for a lot of goals to try to accomplish, it, it does suck. But like you know, to the point of like this is one thing that it's not a labor dispute. It's not anything of that sort. This is way bigger than anything we we can imagine. Uh, that's the only the only thing you can put the only pin you can put back in is that it just really was out of anybody's control. You know, this wasn't this wasn't uh, anything really controllable. So it just really does. To your point, the OAs, the seniors in college, seniors in high school, these—it's the, gut wrenching. But, uh, yeah, there's no answer. It just sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks all around.
1: It, it does.
0: Uh, you know, we we, my wife and I were, were planning to move back to Latvia and be with her family for the summer. We're we're now kind of no man's land. we rent's up where we're renting. We're trying to land a spot, and it just upload it upends a lot of people's scenarios. So. Sometimes sports take the backseat to real life problems. You know, mm-hmm. and that's what's happening right now. The real life problems are the people in the hospitals, uh, the people that are really getting sick, the people that are dying. So, that those things are really what are more important than any sports thing right now. Uh,
1: you know, sports are good for distractions and, um, you know, taking your mind off things. So, let's go back to that 05 uh, Memorial Cup. You guys were playing at home. You were a dominant team, and you open up the tournament against uh, you know the next great one, Sidney Crosby and uh, Ramouski. What do you remember about uh, facing off against Crosby for the first time in that tournament?
0: I I just couldn't believe how good he was. You know, uh, he was he was so good. We were we had a really good season that year. We we pretty much kind of had a dominant trail all the way through the season all the way through playoffs and then game one against Crosby the first 10 minutes of the game we went down three to nothing and he had three unbelievable plays that it was literally nobody's fault nothing really differently could have been done and it was like all dropped like all uh, what's the word like your mouth just dropped at what he did you know so it took us by shock fact that anybody could do this to us because we had such a strong team it wasn't uh you know two or three guys us the whole year we had we had a very strong team d was sick our we had four lines that were really good and we had a top-notch goaltending and crosby went through us in 10 minutes like nothing <laughs> and we refocused and we had a winning that game in overtime marcus Hott scored the game winner but th- yeah. that first 10 minutes gave us all a view of how unbelievable that kid was
1: yeah. Mark Mathot scored two goals in that game, uh, including the game winner. And, you know, I, I, I'm thinking Mark Mathot wasn't an offensive go-to guy on that team in London, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing what happens in overtime, right?
0: He was not, uh, we have Brian Rodney, and Danny Segrette. Danny Segrette was our leading scorer. Brian Rodney was right up there. And, uh, who else we had? Uh, Dan Girardi was a good offensive. So no, to your point, Mark was more of a stay home. And, and the one play that stood out to me the most about Crosby was, uh, he's flying down the right side, and Marcus with was just an absolute beast in junior. Six, three, 220, could squat the whole rack, bench the whole rack. Like he man, like it was men against boys whenever someone went to his corner. And Crosby's coming down that right side. Trot, we call him Trotter. Trotter went in to absolutely smoke him. Crosby put his right shoulder down or his left shoulder down and dug his feet in, absorbed the hit, kept the puck on one hand, shoulder checked, looks out to the middle of the ice, throws a one-handed sauce, like six inches <laughs> off the ice, perfectly on the tape of Mark Antoine Pouliot for a one-timer goal, and we we're all like, Holy, you know what? Yeah. Like, whoa. Like no one had ever taken Mark's hit like that. And then on top of it, the top the high-end skill play of one-handed sauce pass on his backhand to it wasn't a hoper. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to get a hit. Let me just throw the puck anywhere. He looked, found it, and then executed it with the perfect soft pass with one hand. It was just like, oh, we're in trouble. Because so, this guy can play.
1: So what did you guys learn um, about him to go into the final? Because Ramuski, you guys are already in the final. Ramuski beats Ottawa in the semifinal. They score seven. Crosby has a hat trick. And you guys beat him 4 nothing in the final. How did that? How did that happen?
0: We shut him down. Brandon Cross, Dylan Hunter were just—they were their mission was to not let him get the puck. In and, and those days, we still had the the old rules, and you could kind of maul and get uh, away you know, with a lot. Right. Yeah. And if it wasn't for those rules, we would have had another story there. It might not have been four nothing because he didn't get an inch after uh, the game one where he had three points and took us right to the max of overtime. Uh, we, you know, Dale Hunter is a very smart coach and realized what what needed to be done to neutralize them, and uh, he executed. You know, those guys got their game plan, Dylan and, and Prusty, and they executed very good. I think Trevor Kell was the third line on that guy, uh, third guy in that line, and they they literally didn't let him have an inch of space. And that was the only way to stop him because he was that good.
1: Yeah. yeah, And you guys hoisted the trophy on uh, a home ice. Uh, it's such a it was such a dominant team. I mean. Um, and we're going to talk about, uh, 44 vision hockey, um, uh, with some, uh, coaching that you have in a second, but I want to know before that, tell me some of the coaches that you really learned from that, that gave you, uh, you know, lessons on the ice, but also maybe some life lessons and, and things that maybe you're going to be using now with 44 vision hockey.
0: Yeah. You know, it comes straight to mind, uh, some great coaches through my career, you know, Dale Hunter with, uh, in London, we and we were talking about those days, really taught, learned how to become, how to win in different ways to win and how to be a, almost a student of the game and find, find ways to win. Uh, my you know, biggest one that stands out for me would be uh, Steve Ludwig was a big impact in even a short amount of time, one season playing for my rookie year, but really taught me a lot of different life lessons and uh, you know integrity. and uh, He was such a... Uh, I, I, I really respect Leslie. I love that guy. The way he carried himself, the way he was competitive. And also the, you know, teaching me off ice, really. I showed up there at 16 was clueless. I was there on talent. I got drafted first overall in talent. I, I had no idea what off ice was. Um, just literally thought offense was how you want, how you play hockey. <laughs> so he taught me a lot about my own zone, about off ice and being a full pro. Um, and then going a little bit further, Don Kernan and his son, Donnie Kernan Jr. were big, big in my career, teaching me, they're still to this day, in my opinion, some of the most uh, brilliant offensive coaches um, around seeing the game evolving and teaching tangibles uh, of goal scoring and offense. And John Walsh, is, uh, he was my coach growing up in Bantam, and he was part of my Tier 2 coaching staff, and uh, just gave me a lot of confidence in my game. It was a really good uh, just a support beam and, and just making me comfortable they feel protected and always feeling good about my game and feeling confident so uh, those are just a couple to name a few
1: all right so tell us a little bit about 44 uh, vision hockey and um, you know what this is and uh, what it will be uh, I'd, I'd imagine once we get back to a little bit of a normal life
0: yeah so, 40, so right now it's uh, what I'm doing my concept is, is video coaching and going in and and teaching uh, players through their game film and just giving them different outlooks and different scenarios. I think I talked about Matt Messier as a kid. I remember watching that snapshot, and I went out and emulated it as much as possible. And what I saw in my head was always that picture of that shot stepping into it, you know, transferring the weight from this foot to that foot, and then snapping it, low blocker. Um, I believe he's buried on that five hole, but my vision was always low blocker. So helping players envision these scenarios through their game film where it's not so much remember as a player going in and it was always, you know, system work or that kind of thing, or your kind of mistakes in the system would be on the video. With this video coaching, I'm building a team of coaches at all levels, guys that have X pro experience at fairly, you know, high levels, NHL in Europe. Um, and I'm also building a side for the women's as well. I have a few Olympic athletes that are on board for coaching and what it is, is going in there and giving them narratives that we saw through our experience and how we see the game and ways to take advantage of more individual and not so much going in and doing video as a team and where it's, you know, left wing lock, or if it's the one, two, two, four, check the coach is trying to present to you. And that video can be, that's more for the team. When you start talking to individuals, how can you be a better individual player? Um, So, my concept is also bringing on, you know, defensive specialists and teaching angles and that aspect and how to prevent. And for me, it's on my side where I'm coaching and with my students, it'll be about offensive production and what to look for, the mistakes to look for, um, concepts of the net. I always talk about the net has faces to it and how you manipulate the faces of the net and using that video to explain that, break that down, where the data is to pay attention to. And, you know, that's kind of the. That's kind of the long and skinny of
1: it. It's interesting. So, uh, a prospective student uh, can get uh, you know some offensive skill with you, and and learn about their defensive game. Some somebody else can they? You know, are they able to rely on uh, all different instructors, or or, or do you know kind of how the the system is going to work uh, practically?
0: Yeah, so the, I mean, if you really will have these coaches upboarded or uh, onboarded through the platform. And you can kind of have your pick and choose of what you need in your game. And that's how it goes. And each coach will have their bio and have their description of what they can offer and what, they, what they've done, their experience. And then it's up to the player and, uh, you know, month by month who they want to work with and what that might facilitate for them. Like I said, maybe it's one month uh, you're working with me and we can work on power play, working on creating offense and maybe the next the next month you're working with a guy like Freddie Meyer on defensive specialty and we're working on shutting down and and protecting against those offensive angles. Um, So it's very unique in that sense where I wanted to make sure I built out uh, a good cast of coach with experience and, and more towards giving you that, like, I just kind of relate to almost as like, you know, being in school, the teacher has a plan, a teaching plan, and they implement that for whatever X amount of students. Sometimes that doesn't doesn't relate to every single student in that class. This is more something where this is almost like tutoring in that class. So that student gets the tutoring, that player gets the coaching, and then he can go back into that system and still be a prominent piece of that system, but it has enhanced their ability.
1: I like it. So, um, you, it's a one-on-one uh, through video, and then you look at parts of their game and 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 kind of explain it that way. Is is that how it uh, would work? A uh, one-on-one through video with video a, of yeah. their of their game,
0: of their actual game. And I think there's a lot of value in private lessons, it sure. Is but the, it, sometimes it's a matter of what you're actually doing in the game and how that goes. So there's in my, in my experience in my career, there's sometimes you're doing these called skill development drills it is kind of like where is this going to be implemented in my game so what we are doing is is seeing the game film seeing what we the scenarios where we can help them enhance and if it's not translating we can also be building specific drills through video uh video recording and show them the specific drills to work on to enhance these positions um that's where i find it so it's now practicing with a purpose not just practicing going out and doing the same drills that 15 other guys on the edge are doing, you're doing drills that are specific to where it's going to help you excel in your game. And then also, a spin off of it, too, is each coach will have sort of a subscription based uh, platform where they can be uploading their tips, their drills, their concepts, their ideas of hockey and how to enhance for a general view. So then people can see how a Freddie Meyer practice, how a Rob Shrimp drill translate or how he does his preparation. So it's kind of a, a little bit of
1: a two-lane highway for each coach. It's I like the I like the concept. And, and you're, I think, uh, one-on-one, um, you know, video, uh, skills coaching, um, skill development. And, and when, when I say skill, it's not just offense. Uh, you know, playing defense is a skill as well, and there's different things you can learn. Uh, who are some of the people that they have working with you that uh, people will get to uh, work one-on-one with? So we
0: have... Uh, on the women's side, we have Rebecca Johnson, um, Amanda, we have sorry Blake Bolden, Allie Lacombe, Rebecca Johnson, uh, are to name a few. And Freddie Meyer is uh, coming on board James Wisniewski, myself, Peter MacArthur, uh, Amanda P- uh, Pelkey, is, sorry, I, I didn't want to say her name wrong. <laughs> um, Danny sivret is an, another one, and my old coach Don Kerning. I'm having him come on board as well. So Don Kerning coached uh, women's hockey for a long time as well. And you actually won two national championships for those girls. I grew up skating with them as well as the juniors. Uh, he was my junior A coach here too. But I would spend Tuesdays and Thursdays, they had, um, I, was, I was 12 or 13, and they had the midget girls. I would go out with them on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And he had these girls, he knew how to coach and have system work done. So, what I'm having Don do is, is teach coaches how to coach women's hockey and understand drills and different ways to get systems implemented. Um, so, I feel like, in my opinion, it, it really good benefit the women's game to have to start growing the game at these lower levels with the coaches and have them implementing drills and implementing ideas and concepts to help advance that game and help them grow. So I think Don has a big chance there to, to help and, and be a support beam for women's hockey. And then when you add the girls, like I mentioned, uh, Rebecca, Allie, Nicole Hersley, uh, Hensley, um, these girls are girls that have experienced and been through it and are high levels, um, high level experience, Olympic experience. And it helps them in those individual settings, in those individual scenarios and help grow the game and advance the players individually, which helps the overall game. Um, and on the men's side, no different, just having some great experience. Glenn Metropolis, another guy, um, great experience, NHL experience, uh, European experience, sees the game in a lot of different lights. Um, that's value. I think where you can have people with that experience, it gives you a lot of different ways to hit home on the teaching side and to create whatever it is you're trying to create up from my side, it's on offense, create offensive ability and offensive, uh, production. And then on the defensive side, guys like Freddie, guys like Danny Severat, who was, you know, he was, I played with him. I thought mm-hmm. he was brilliant on that side of the game. He was so smart with angles and seeing the game and shutting down, penalty kill. Um, and also Danny is a, is a very bright mind, hockey mind, and coaching. understands systems very well. So he might be another avenue for coaches to understand system breakdown, how that implements into players and how to get your players going in systems that actually benefit what you have in your – on your roster where it's not just, okay, it's 2020, 2021 season. We're just going to do it. This is a new system. I learned this, what we're going to do. It's more about assessing what you have in your roster and then implementing a system for that to, to be beneficial for everybody, for the team, for the individual and for success.
1: Sounds awesome, man. Where can people find uh, more information about it? And uh, when you, uh, I guess we're cut. your probably, I imagine you're on hold a little bit right now, or, or are you able to work with some people right now because it is one-on-one video?
0: Nope, so this is the time where we're, we're launching now, so it gives a chance, to, you know, the season just ended for players, so it's a time really to go back. And for the youth, the, the way that the, they have the tryouts these days, uh, I don't know if we're going to have them, but the season just ended, and it's a time to reflect on what just happened and what you, what you went through in the season. So, you know, if you're a double-A kid trying to get to triple-A, let's go through your mistakes and gain scenarios and figure out what we can do to get you better. Um, have you ready for that next chance to, to advance? Uh, even if it's a pro guy, AHL guy, and it doesn't matter what level you're at. The seasons just happened and let's go through it and break it down and see where we could have improved on things, give you some insight and give you some new things to think about and new avenues, uh, new, new ways to think about it. I think, and once these rinks start opening back up, you have a chance to go out and like I mentioned earlier, practice with a purpose and practice towards your, your individual craft and get that dialed in instead of just going out and flipping pucks and doing the, the normal, you know, two or three skates in the summertime a week and just, you know You know, do the normal drills for 10 minutes and scrimmage for 40 this is more something where you want to get dialed in this is an opportunity to take a look at your individual game in advance It um, and right now is a good time as everybody's probably getting pretty bored getting a couple weeks into this lockdown or getting in the uh, you know social distancing sort of thing it's a chance really an opportunity to to be productive while you're sitting still
1: all right, so where can people uh, find uh, information so they can get into this?
0: 44visionhockey.com, and we are going to be launching around April 1st, April 2nd. We'll be fully up and going, and all the details will be in there, and the coaches will uh, start to be, they'll be uploaded, and we'll be adding. Um, as we get more coaches that fit the mold, we'll be uploading as we go. But for the now, and uh, right in the front of us, uh, April 1st or 2nd, we'll have about 10 or 11 coaches up there for, for players to have a look at and see if it fits what they're looking for, Boy, uh, men and women, boys and girls.
1: Uh, good stuff. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, checking this out uh, even more. I um, want to quickly ask you, I want to go back to that 05 Memorial Cup. Corey Perry uh, was a teammate of yours. You had to have laughed at some things that Corey Perry must have done to get other guys uh, on other teams off their game. I mean, Euler fans, uh, you know, throw darts at his face because of what he's done to them in in the past. I mean, what was being a teammate of Corey Perry's like?
0: It was amazing, to be honest with you. uh, He was such a competitor, and he was was so good in junior. He He was so good in pro. But in junior specifically, it was a fun time because I first got there when I was seventeen. He was eighteen, and to be honest, he was just a he was just a good player, you know. And then the next year, he came in and turned into this whole different player, uh, absolutely dynamic, absolutely dominant. And he was also a little bit of an S head, you know. He had that ability to just guys would want to punch his head through the glass, <laughs> <laughs> and it was like he. But then it pissed him off so bad. Then he'd go out and he would toe drag somebody and do an absolute highlight real goal. So it was like, he would be that little rat, but then also the best player on the ice at the same time. It was, they couldn't win against them almost kind of thing, you know? So, and as guys on your, uh, being on the bench, being on his team, being on the ice with them, uh, it was just, you never knew what it was going to be, you know, it was either going to be a scrum in front of the net because pairs would like know the goalie or like knee in the net, you know, and the shoulder on accident or, you know, give it the old, like standing there and the guy would barely touch him and he would throw himself on top of the net turn into a melee or it'd be a scenario where pairs would go get over the offensive blue line and just absolutely undress the guy then go shell so it was electric and it was a big part of our success in that Memorial Cup year I think he was you know absolutely without Corey Perry I don't know if that season goes as well as it did to be honest with you he was the driver of the boat and uh, a really Danny wore the sea which was right he was absolutely the captain of the team but on most nights Corey Perry with his play uh, drove you know drove the boat and was the motivator for us uh once he would go out and do something then as the next line behind him you want to go out and do something it was just contagious how he played and competed yeah. i see it now there's so many fans that want to they hate his face <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they absolutely hate his face oiler oh. fans
1: are right there Funny. oiler fans cannot uh stand uh cory Barron that, that proves that he's uh doing his job but uh um, I digress. What about uh, Doug Weight uh, on the island? Uh, you know, as an American-born player, um, was was he a guy that you kind of looked up to? And you know, I know in Edmonton he's revered for uh, you know being such a skilled player, but was was uh, revered for being a good teammate from different people I talked to. What was Doug Waite like?
0: And Doug he was Doug he was a great guy. He's really good, really good guy. Really good. Uh, he's a kind of older guy at that time, mentor. Um, I really respected Dougie a lot. He had some injury stuff. He was battling there at the end, but he battled through it. And when he was on the ice, he was so skilled, and he saw the game in such a different way. Uh, it was fun to watch. You know, like I said, he had some injuries, so he's like some back injury, hip injury. Even through that, the stuff that he was doing on the ice was like, man, this guy's unbelievable. Um, and that time, it was a little bit different, though. With, you know, it was, it was a different time in the island, and it was more like, you know, kind of a change in the way game is played or mm-hmm. trying to be like more fast and like chase the puck around where it's just in my opinion, it's like, well, I would rather have Dougie have it, you know, <laughs> why are we dumping it in ever when yeah. Dougie, the guy like Dougie Wade to control this and like set something up. Uh, so that was kind of like watching that was for me, I, I almost got frustrated for him. You know, I'd rather watch Dougie Wade do his magic than watch him for check a puck. But um, off the ice, he was such a good guy and he was great. Like I said, he was a great calming, uh, calming kind of personality for that room because we were all a little bit young and just get what's told to you where Dougie was like the middle guy old had great experience great success where he could be a little more of a voice and a leader and say how it's going to be so I respected Dougie a lot for the way he handled it and how he was in the island for, for a guy, young guy coming up and being the legend that he was it, was it was definitely an honor to be on his team and get a chance to play he was on his line for a couple games even uh it was
1: awesome all right and finally uh we talked in one-timers uh, which people can find at uh, sportsandmore.ca um we chatted about the 06 playoffs and and being in edmonton i mean that's a, a career highlight for me as a broadcaster i got to meet bob cole in the catwalk at at uh, what then Rexall place during the stanley cup final i mean that's a bucket list uh, you weren't Playing in those playoffs, but you were part of the team. What do you remember about that run?
0: I just the electricity of the city was amazing. uh It was it was just unreal. I think starting right with the San Jose series, it just started picking up, and they kept winning and doing well. And, and Rollins got on a roll. I just it was. There were so many pieces of it. The way the city wrapped around the games. And then when he got in the barn and when it got ready for puck drive, they've got, we talked about it coming out in the rink. They did the countdown and then the whole the electricity, the building was shaking. <laughs> uh, it was nuts. And then every single play, the magnitude of it, and the fans' reaction was, it was so cool. And I mean, we won, the, yeah, we won a Mem Cup in, in London, but that didn't even compare to what this energy was in that building. With 18, I don't know what it is, 18, 19,000 people and having it literally the building shaking from the energy that they were producing was something I'll never forget. Um, there were so many highlights. The Sandy's playoff run was just, yeah. it was pretty cool. Like, you know, third, fourth liner, just absolutely torched. like every time he scored, it was just not expected, but <laughs> absolutely appreciated. And then you know, everybody went, they shit. It was, it was nuts. I mean, just all around roly making saves out left, right, and center. I mean, some of those games should have been way out of hand in the score sense and really just stealing the show prongs, really keeping the everything kind of even keeled. Just, I don't There were so many. I had some sick goals and really big goals, also some kind of normal standard frame, some good playoff hits. Uh, you go down the list and that's what it takes, right? To win a championship, all these little things that people don't really, they all kind of get looked over. But if you look back at them, it was like, man, there were some cool, cool things that happened. Yeah, yeah, a lot of things, a lot of people stepped up. Fernando, especially, that, I think he had 12 or 15 goals that year. Like, 13. Who yeah. would have thought that going into the playoffs? not Nothing against Fernando, great guy, unbelievable teammate. Yeah. But his role was literally third, fourth line shutdown. And next to the only guy's potting, like, some sick goals, too. Like, yeah. picking a guy off on the PK and then sniping from the top of the circle, top shelf, top glove. Like, holy crap, where'd that come from? Kind of thing. And, like, also, huge goal. <laughs> like the game was within one, I think, and that put it away, kind of. Yeah. Or whatever it might have been tied, I think it was, and he put him up with a shorthander. Um, those kind of little elements are, are what are the ingredients in the in the baking that are make it special. And yeah. then White Ave was wild. That oh. was a black eight. So yeah, we we definitely enjoyed it a little bit <laughs> more than the guys playing, yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, it was electric. It was it was really fun.
1: Yeah. Uh, t- before we get to um, the the of uh, the play, I want to talk about what was it like being you know being out in the city. Obviously, the players that were were playing, and, and I don't think you guys were out till seven in the morning every night. But just enjoying the atmosphere in the city uh, as an as a member of the Oiler, that must have been just surreal.
0: Yeah, I think we got a little more. Uh, yeah, we were like absolute pigeons. We were black ages, right? But we got a little more respect than people, you know, because you were an oiler and your party are right there. So it was cool. People had a lot of respect in the way the fans are with, with anybody that plays for the organization. They really treat you good and make you feel special. And uh, we loved it. I mean, we had, we had beers with some, you know, different people. wasn't uh, you know, it wasn't just like a group of five or six of us hockey guys. It would be like three or four of us with like ten or Fifteen random people from Edmonton and just <laughs> enjoying and talking about the games and, and and absorbing it all and having that good energy. So um, it was unique in that way. You get to meet some great people, some great I don't know Edmontonians, uh, not just hanging out with the hockey guys. So we get to meet some cool people and, and absorb it. Like I said, we weren't you said it, we weren't playing, so we didn't have we weren't out to seven a.m. But we you know we didn't have to be home at nine o'clock either. Mm-hmm. So we we got to enjoy the atmosphere of winning and of almost getting that cup
1: yeah that was and and that's what makes this year uh really tough for for oiler fans again there's there's bigger things at play but uh, i do feel for the oiler fans man i did that post game show for you know over four years and it was hell other than the one year uh they they made the playoffs so so i feel for them but the thing that stands out for me in that run rob was Rafi Torres hit in against San Jose that that turned that series around, and that triple overtime game three where S- Ryan Smith loses his chiclets, comes back in the game and sets up Horkoff for the for the game winner. Like that game is one of the greatest games I've ever seen live.
0: Yep, that's right. Yeah, I, I skipped over those. It's so true. Yeah, those are uh, just nitty gritty, like down and dirty plays and playoffs. Like you said, rap just. Setting the tone and and making it kind of like we're here, and then when someone gets their face demolished like that and comes out and sacrifices their body for the team and then has a a contribution such as that, it carries so much momentum. Um, And those games were electric. The one thing I would say that I do remember from that too, as well, is how well Joe Thornton played. Yeah, Um, I remember Joe Thornton was unbelievable in that series, and like really just absolutely. Killed that guy, confidence. He was making backdoor one-time passes. He was making all these setups, and nothing was getting paid off. And I remember one time he had a game. Joe Thornton should have had five assists, and he got—I <laughs> think he had one. And coming after, and TSN was saying how you know Jumbo Joe doesn't perform again, kind of thing. And I was kind of like, that is very unfair because yeah. <laughs> I was there in person to watch it. This guy came to play, and it's just the Oilers' will and determination stifled that, but it wasn't Joe's fault, which kind of bugged me a little bit. You know what I mean? I was like, how can they rip on this guy? The guy played, if you watch the game with your own set of eyes, he played unbelievable. It's just one of those things where, you, that's what they say, you get in the playoffs, you never know. And this was one of those scenarios, but Joe kind of got the knack there. Like He didn't show up. He definitely showed up. I watched it.
1: Yeah, and, and you're right. Dwayne Rolison, um, had he stayed healthy and the Oilers won the Cup, probably would have won the Conn Smythe. <laughs> him or Pronger, it would have been one of the two, and then just, uh, you know, an, a terrible uh, injury situation and then the communication with uh, with uh, Ty Conklin behind the net and, and game one is over. But I will say, for UC Markkinen to come in and play as well as he did to finish off that series was also pretty impressive.
0: Absolutely. That's no easy task, uh, especially your starter. Your starter comes in. Your starter has the playoff that he's having. Yeah. You know? And then, yeah, it's tough. It's like it's tough to act as follow up. So it, it speaks volumes of his professionalism and his ability to rise to the occasion. Um, really, not an easy task. And I thought both guys did a great job. You know, the communication behind the net. It is what it is. Like puck playing, it's loud building. You're used. To, you're playing, and when you get into a groove in the playoffs, like they were into a groove. That kind of stuff is like second nature. Goalie, defenseman, handoff mm. is. You get so comfortable with the one guy to have it immediately be someone different. It, there's no time to be like, "Hey, time out. Let's all get together and talk about how we're going to communicate these handoffs." <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You didn't have that ability, so it's not on. It's not on anybody. You know, it's just unfortunate. So it is kind of fortunate as they were to have that chemistry come together to make that long run. A couple plays really, unfortunately, the other way mm-hmm. were what end up being a kind of a nail in the coffin who's to know to blame it on those things either it's just things happen
1: yeah uh, but it, 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 it was, was a wild
0: run man yeah. they went a long way they snuck in that year too eight, right like it was like seed. a la- like one of the last game playoff AC kind of a last last week kind of playoff push sort of thing so yeah. to get what they got out of it from the regular season um i, I guarantee you, we all would like to see the cup in brought out there for the oilers but they did a hell of a job. I'll say that they brought it together at the right time of the year and, and almost pulled it off.
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing. Uh, you know what? A few moves. Uh, uh, you know, obviously the big moves at the beginning of the season, but uh, a few moves at the deadline, and and that was definitely a a career highlight. Watching that uh, that March, um, Rob. This has been a, a lot of fun once again. What's the website again for Forty Four Vision Hockey for my listeners and viewers? That's
0: it. Forty Four Two Four is the uh, the number four the number four, visionhockey.com. And right now we just got it coming soon. And, and in the next about week to 10 days, we'll have that up and going with all the information, all the coaches loaded. And uh, from there, we'll be able to start having our footprint uh, on the game of hockey and, and helping out the youth and other and – it doesn't have to just be youth, all the professionals, whoever wants to come on and, and get the experience and coaching from a, a great group of, uh, of coaches.
1: Awesome. Great stuff, Rob. Uh, All the best to you and your family as we get through these uh, strange times. Uh, I'm glad you're doing your part uh, and staying at home with the family, and it was good to chat with you again.
0: Thanks for having me on. It's always good catching up, buddy. Appreciate you.
1: What do you say? This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. Got nothing to How do you smile? no That's the uh, wonderful sounds of Sweet Bejesus, I Got Time, uh, from their debut album, Policeman's Creek. Kevin Dabbs, Christian Gutzis make up uh, the duo Sweet Bejesus, uh, the official band of Sports & More. We thank them very much for allowing us to use their music. Check out their debut album, Policeman's Creek, on Apple Music uh, or wherever you find your tunes. And, of course, big thanks to Rob Shrimp. Um, I love the, the stories about the 2006 uh, playoff run and what they were doing, uh, and, and what that felt like. And, uh, you know, to hear him talk about Sidney Crosby facing him for the first time is awesome. And, and Corey Perry, uh, so, uh, and, and by the way, uh, I encourage you to, uh, check things out, uh, with, uh, Rob's, uh, coaching program. Uh, they've got a really cool, one thing we didn't get a chance to talk about was they got a really cool program for goaltenders as well um uh, actually rob sent me uh, a text and uh, was we were just chatting about uh the goaltending program they have they have Nicole Hensley uh, for women's and uh, Christian Frey uh, Josh Robinson and uh, Bobby Gofer, uh, I think uh played at Minnesota um as far as goaltending uh, coaches so really cool stuff that rob's got going and we'll try and keep in touch with him and maybe uh, you know grab a few of his coaches that have uh, some pretty good stories uh, to tell as well all right uh, before we wrap things up we have to give you the ultimate franchise fantasy sport fantasy sports poll question um the Myron French question of the day you might say my old uh, high school law teacher Myron French started every class with the question of the day so I want to have that on every episode. Uh, today's question is what is the most impressive accomplishment of these four choices? You have Timo Solani's 76-goal rookie season. Grant Fuhrer playing 79 games in a single season. That was wild. Uh, Paul Coffey scoring 48 goals. He scored in the 40s twice. I think he scored 34 times. It's it's crazy calling Paul Coffey a 30-goal score, but he did it so many times. He was a 30 goal scorer, 48 goals in one season, season or Daryl Sittler's 10.9. 10.6 goals, four assists. Uh so right now, team Musalani leading the way. By the way, you can vote on this at Duck Millard on Twitter. It'll be up for a week. Um, we're just uh we're at 169 nice votes uh for this question. Solani leading the way, 76 goals in his rookie season. That's 43.8% of the vote. Uh, Grant Fuhr playing 79 games in one season has 21.9% of the vote. That's number two. Daryl Sittler's 10-point game has 20.7% of the vote. And Paul Coffey's 48-goal season has 13.6. I I hate being a front-runner, but Timu Solani... Like we had no idea that was pre-internet. We had no idea really who this guy was reading in the hockey news. That's how we knew it. Now I was in high school, so I wasn't as invested in it. I was also uh, thinking a lot about girls back then. Um, but to watch Solani do that in his rookie season, I'm, you know, from Manitoba, so I was a big uh, Jets fan. Um, but the, you know, if I had to pick a number two, Grant Fuhrer playing 79 games, that's unbelievable. You know, as as crazy as Paul Coffey's forty eight goal season was, playing seventy nine games, unbelievable. So you can have your say at Doc Millard on Twitter. Uh, the most impressive accomplishment: Solani's seventy six goal rookie season. If you're playing in seventy nine games in a single season, Paul Coffey scoring forty eight in a season, or Daryl Sittler's ten point night. And remember, you can get more information about Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports at www.uffsports.com, where you own the game. Thanks very much for joining me on this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe and leave us a review. It's really important. It helps us uh, make this show better. Uh, So please subscribe, tell your friends. Uh, you can find it wherever you find your podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. If you would like to be involved in the program um, as a guest, if you think you would be a, a make a good guest, or as an advertiser, please drop me an email at sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. Can you dig it? <laughs> I would really dig it if you sent me and email and that's going to wrap things up for us on the program today uh, i'd like to thank uh, rob shrimp for joining me i'll have one timers with rob a little bit later in the week you can check it all out at sports and more playtime is over